A reading from the book of the prophet Amos. Hear this, who you trample upon the needy and destroy the poor of the land. When will the new moon be over, you ask, that we may sell our grain and the Sabbath, that we may display the wheat? We will diminish the ephah, add to the shekel, and fix our scales for cheating. We will buy the lowly for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. Even the refuse of the wheat we will sell. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, never will I forget a thing they have done. The word of the Lord. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to Timothy. Beloved, first of all, I ask that supplications, prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be offered for everyone, for kings and for all in authority, 
that we may lead a quiet and tranquil life in all devotion and dignity. This is good and pleasing to God our Savior, who wills everyone to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. For there is one God. There is also one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as ransom for all. This was the testimony at the proper time. For this, I was appointed preacher and apostle. I am speaking the truth. I am not lying. Teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. It is my wish, then, that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Lord, you, o Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, The person who is trustworthy in small matters is also trustworthy in great ones. And the person who is dishonest in very small matters is also dishonest in great ones. If therefore you are trustworthy with dishonest wealth, you will, who will trust you with true wealth? If you are not trustworthy with belongings to other, with what belongs to others, who will give you what is yours? No servant can serve both can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. 
the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Shortly after embarking on a career in engineering, I had finally discerned that that's not the path that God wanted me to take. And so therefore, I started telling my family, my friends, and my coworkers that I was going to go to the seminary and become a priest. Now, as you can imagine, there's no rule on how do you handle the reaction to that. So I had a wide array of responses from friends and coworkers. But probably the most frequent and least helpful one went something like this. Well, awkward pause, I guess you just have to do what makes you happy. Now, I have to admit, when I was younger, what made me happy had far less to do with God and more to do with my own selfish pursuits. And I loved hockey. I wanted to be a professional hockey player. I was pretty sure I could be a beach bum. I knew I wanted to be rich, and I also wanted to amass lots of possessions. But the idea of being a priest, quitting my high-paying job, uh, breaking up with my girlfriend, and having a future that I was not in control of, those didn't initially seem like happy ideas to me. But, you know, I started to draw from the wisdom that I got when I was in St. Albert the Great there at Michigan Tech at the Catholic Campus Ministry. You know, that was the year that the Great Adventure Bible series came out. The Bible never made sense to me in life. I put it away because I didn't understand it. But when I started reading it and studying it with the students, all of a sudden it came to light to me that God formed me in my mother's womb that he knows every one of my days before they came to be, that he chooses each one of us for a particular mission. And my life was not about me. It was at that point I could make an educated search for something that would bring me eternal happiness. And I started to put aside the mirages that I had chosen before. In our first reading from Amos, we hear a curious passage. When will the Sabbath be over, the celebration of the new moon so that we can get back to work? The Sabbath was terribly important to the Jews. They did no work, no business on the Sabbath. Because the only business that we should have is to be focused solely in worshiping God. Is that what we find the merchants doing that day with their time? Nope. It says that they want to get back to work and they're scheming on ways to get rich by shorting people on grain and charging them more and fixing their scales. But one could look at it and say, weren't the merchants just doing what was making them happy? Our Lord issues us a bold challenge in our gospel. He said, no servant can serve two masters. He either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. <clears throat> to understand that a little bit more, we go, we turn to Venerbarge Bishop Fulton Sheen. He said first, the more ties that we have here to earth, the harder it is for us to be able to die. You know, what he's saying is, we make too many attachments here and less attachments there. Isn't that really the genius of Lent? We detach ourselves from things below and attach ourselves to things above. 
I kind of like it the way that the Catholic author Anne Ball put it. She said, you know, purgatory is for those who are not quite dead enough. Get it? We don't really want to go on to eternal life. We want to keep living this one. The second thing that Fulton Sheen said that we need to understand is that we are never meant to be perfectly satisfied here below. We know that. I mean, we choose things all the time that we think will bring us happiness, and then we're restless again, right? And therefore, we know that we're designed for love and happiness, but where do we find eternal happiness? One of the topics the priests are going to be learning about on our convocation this week when we get together is from Father Robert Spitzler. He said there are four levels of happiness when you take a look at Greek philosophy and our Christian tradition. He said level one is kind of a base one that we all search for, right? He said it is happiness in a thing. He said it could be a good meal or a possession. I know every time I'm filled up with Italian food, I feel really good. But then I get hungry again, right? Or maybe I get, I search for something really hard, I get the best price on it, I've researched it, and I buy it, and I get it, and then I figure it out, and then I'm completely bored of it. You see how temporary that happiness is at level one. The second level of happiness is happiness we derive from competition with one another. I know we're getting into the football season here, so we're always happy when our team beats somebody else's team. We're even happier when we play the sport and we beat someone else. We're happier when we succeed or we come in first or we're more beautiful, uh, we have more things. We're far more talented than others. But you see, the problem with that is eventually we're going to fail. And that is going to make us feel unworthy and it's going to bring us bitterness. The third level of happiness is obviously higher. Because he says it's happiness that we drive by finding good or receiving good from other people and also doing good to other people. <clears throat> There's nothing wrong with that level of happiness. The only problem, he says, is this contingent, that happiness, on someone else being around. He said, therefore, there must be a perfection to happiness, and that would be level four, something that is completely external to us. And in history, in philosophy, but we always studied it as being what we call the transcendentals. Whatever is true, good, and beautiful, whatever is really love, and whatever is justice within our lives. Because those things have their origin in God, and they transcend every generation, every culture, every language, every religion. And wherever we find a reflection of these, whatever is true, good, and beautiful, and love, we find a reflection of God himself. And therefore, when we're looking for love within a parent or a spouse or a friend, we want it to last. And then we take that love and we ground it within Christ himself. One of the prayers we say at funerals, at the vigil, is that the ties that we form within life, they're not severed in death. Remember, the book of Hebrews says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the foundation of a true love and a relationship. The second is beauty. We have all kinds of definitions of beauty. We always say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. False. St. Thomas Aquinas said that beauty has to be something that's clear. We know what it is. And it should reflect something in creation, people or nature. And therefore, when we look to the arts and to music, we want to find something that really enlightens our spirit. 
We look to things like Michelangelo's Pieta, and we meditate upon Mary holding Jesus at the foot of the cross, his limp body. Maybe we listen to some classical music like, like Beethoven or Bach, or some of our own Catholic sacred music, things that really make our soul rise. Another is that we look for truth. How about in the Ten Commandments? have been guiding generations for 3,500 years. Anything that we read in the scripture or appreciate, like the Golden Rule. My great-grandmother was born in 1900. I remember growing up, I listened to my great-grandmother's truth because she had far more years of wisdom and experience. And the last of the transcendentals, goodness. We look for goodness to start always in God. He has loved us into existence, and it's obvious with the coming of his son and the dying on the cross that he doesn't want to spend eternity without us. And so all of our goodness is lived in return of so great a gift. These are all examples of the fourth level of happiness that we find. Before I entered seminary, I had to make a choice. Was I going to settle for some of the things I thought made me happy before, or choose something greater. Because all happiness and all love in our life requires a choice. Venerable Archbishop Fulton Sheen said, there is no other real way to prove that we love a thing than by choosing it in preference to something else. We can prove that we love our Lord only by choosing in, in preference to everything else. St. Augustine said, said that to, if we don't love our Lord with all of our heart, we don't love him at all. And see, go back to his challenge in the gospel. He's saying, will you settle for something else or will you settle for me? Levels one through three of happiness are not bad, but they lack in fullness of contentment. And rather, we're being called, perhaps, to think maybe those are stepping stones to a greater, more per perfect form of happiness. For again, St. Augustine said, no one is really happy because he has what he wants, but only if he has the things that he ought to want. Therefore, Augustine said, whoever possesses God is truly happy.